I'm Cinder Niemela, and along with Charlotte Gilmano, welcome to the Inspired Wisdom Podcast. I believe the most powerful gifts you can give yourself is time to reflect on your talents and experience, and then have the wisdom to act with confidence and grace. This podcast is for entrepreneurs, leaders, and individuals who want to thrive in work and life. Your journey to being connected and inspired by the world around you starts right now. I think we've all experienced at one time or another that our beliefs can help us achieve our goals and success, and they can also be the number one barrier to moving forward into the future. For me, after coaching for 25 years, the real question is how do you deal with beliefs and these patterns of behavior? My friend and colleague, Lion Goodman, is an expert on deleting limiting and negative beliefs. These are the roadblocks to living a more fulfilling life. Lion received one of the first BA degrees in consciousness studies in 1975. Then when he was 26, he was shot in the head and had a near-death experience. Lion spent the next 40 years answering the questions, what is the nature of human nature? the nature of human potential, and the nature of human motivation. Lion has studied more than 100 transformational techniques and synthesized them into a dozen easy-to-learn processes. More than 30,000 people have benefited from his programs and processes, and he squeezed in time to author four books. In 2000, Lion dedicated himself to life purpose work, and his primary focus is on clearing limiting beliefs. I've included Lion's bio and links to all the resources we discussed during today's call in the show notes. Lion, welcome to the call. Thank you, Cinder. It's great to be here with you. <laughs> Thank you. How did you get into this arena after executive coaching and or executive coaching and executive recruiting? Right. I started in executive recruiting when I was 26 years old and it just clicked for me. I just, it just worked. And over a 30-year period, I worked with more than 250 companies around the world, recruiting high-level executives for mostly technology and healthcare companies. And what I loved most about my work was talking to people, because I love people. And I figured that I looked at probably at least 100,000 resumes during those years. Wow. <laughs> And I noticed, I noticed that most people had an objective at the top of their resume. And I realized that I could have a rubber stamp to replace that. And the rubber stamp would say, more money and more fun. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody wants more money and more fun. So, <laughs> uh, and I've always been interested in the nature of human nature. In fact, when I was uh, a young man at 19, I met a teacher who asked me these questions. He was kind of like a, an Aristotle in my life. And he asked me, you know, what is the nature of human nature? What's the nature of human motivation? Why are we here? What is life? And so I began the exploration of those questions at a very young age and continued to study everything I could to get my answers. Mm -hmm. And headhunting was a way of making a living. But simultaneously with making a living, I was also continuing to explore those questions on my own through therapy and workshops and trainings and reading and, and uh, interactions with other people. So 
I was always interested in self-development. And when the headhunting business fell along with the economy and the dot-com crash, I realized that what I liked best about what I did was talking to people and helping them. Mm -hmm. So I became a coach and I switched from headhunting, what I called go fetch, (laughs) go fetch me of the, go fetch me a VP of marketing. Um, And again, uh, going more, more deeply with the people that I was talking to and it was a natural, easy flow and, and shift. And then I began teaching other coaches the methodologies that I had developed over many years. Yeah. When did you start um, teaching coaches? Uh, let's see, what year is this? <laughs> I know, it's 2018. I think, I think it was about 13 years ago. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's awesome. And so you switched into a field that is more around beliefs. What was it about the people that you were talking to, whether it's the people who are recruiting the talent that you find or the talent themselves, what was it about beliefs that particularly intrigued you? As a person interested in self-development, I was always looking at what got the biggest leverage to shift me toward where I wanted to go. And over many, many years, I looked at what was it that shifted when I shifted. And I noticed that with every major shift of internal mindset, we'd call it today, but my internal space at the time, uh, that there was a belief shifting. So uh, my favorite example is in therapy. uh, I came to the conclusion one day, kind of a slap on the forehead moment of like, oh my God, it's not my mother's fault. (laughs) And and, that was a change in belief. Like it is my mother's fault. It's not my mother's fault. And as I tracked back, I realized that all of the changes that occurred in my life that were for the good involved a change in my beliefs. And so I began to study beliefs directly what are they? Where do they come from? How do they function? And that's what led me into that path, realizing that beliefs are the greatest leverage for personal change, uh, bar none. It's like that is the, the key. And the reason is, is that beliefs are the core of our psyche. They're the construction materials that our psyche is made out of like the Lego blocks you could build a building with. Mm, mm-hmm. And a lot of people call it different things, um, you know, uh, points of view, programs, uh, voices, uh, doesn't matter what you call it. I call it beliefs. It is the basic infrastructure of the mind. So if you can change your beliefs, you can actually change your perception, your mindset, your orientation, and your reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um I don't know if I've ever shared with you, but when I was a when I was really small, I had polio. I didn't. Um, yeah. Oh, I haven't shared this with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I was about um, six months old, I got polio. So that's before I could think, <laughs> and I had it for about. Well, I was really sick for about four months, and then I wore a brace, a little brace, because I was just a little kid. Uh, and about a year old, 18 months old, the brace was taken off. And um, my mother tells this story about how I was sitting down on the floor after he took the brace off. And the doctor's telling my mother and my father that, well, it's probably going to take her like a year or two years, maybe even, to learn how to walk because she hasn't used those muscles. In the meantime, I got up off the floor, walked to the door, 
opened the door and ran down the hall. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so great. And so as you're talking, I, I, I know how powerful the mind is. I didn't have that belief that I couldn't walk. Right. I didn't understand what was going on. All I knew is that finally I am liberated and I can go play with the other kids. That's and, beautiful. Beautiful story. Yeah. And so it, it, it does occur to me that um, our beliefs really get in the way of what we want or they can. Absolutely. I had a client who was in a similar position uh, with braces on, their, on his legs and when and he lived with it so long that when he had them taken off, he felt terrible. He wanted them to to be put back on. Oh no! Yeah, because uh, because they were part of him and part uh -huh. of his personality. He was he was about six years old at the time, and so he felt like somebody had taken a part of him away. Oh. Yeah. So beliefs are powerful. They can move us forward, or they can stop us cold. Yes. Well, you mentioned mindset too. Tell us uh, or talk a little bit about the difference between a belief and a mindset. Well, I consider beliefs the infrastructure because you can identify them one at a time. So, for example, I might have the belief there's something wrong with me mm -hmm. or um, it's my mother's fault <laughs> or yeah. whatever, whatever you happen to believe. Right. Mindset is is. Uh, kind of a collection of all of our beliefs and they provide a, an orientation toward the world. And I divide beliefs up into three major categories, beliefs about myself, beliefs about other people and beliefs about the world. And when I combine all those three and we may have hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of beliefs about each one of those categories, when you combine them all, it orients me toward the world in a certain way. And that's what we call mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, so often I see people in organizations that really are trying to do the right thing. I, I knew one person who went out of her way to save a client, but she went so far out of her way to save the client that she um, was described as mean. And she was devastated when she got the feedback that she was this horrible person that didn't take time for people and they really didn't want her in the firm. And she could not understand or really deal with this rejection when she was trying to do the best thing for the company. Right. This happens with any major change in our life, whether it's personal or professional, because the beliefs we're using to function at a certain level in a certain job in a certain role with certain people may not apply to the next person, the next job or the next role. And so there's a lot of learning involved and it can be traumatic when your whole life is set up and you've identified with a particular set of beliefs that are working. And then all of a sudden the environment changes and it's not working anymore. Now, this yeah. is especially true with, with men and today's Me Too movement and, and women's liberation that men who were used to functioning a certain way in the 50s and 60s suddenly found out that they couldn't treat women like objects anymore. And they had to make adjustments in their point of view about women and how they treated them and all their behaviors with women. And it's, it's continuing to happen today. And it's very important that it does, that we, we drop our assumptions about who we believe other people are. So changing your beliefs can be difficult, especially as, as you describe them, they're just part of who we are. We take them for granted. I mean, they're unconscious. So how do you... Uh, work with people to help them 
identify these beliefs that are not working and then change them. Well, anything that's not working most likely has a belief underneath it. <laughs> so if I'm in a job where uh, I'm not happy, I can look outside myself and it's my boss that's not making me happy or my work's not making me happy or uh, my colleague isn't making me happy. But the, there's a belief in there somewhere that is actually at cause of the unhappiness. The belief might be, I'm supposed to be happy. <laughs> You know? oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, so, or, you know, the world is here to make me happy rather mm -hmm. than I am the source of my own happiness, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, no matter what the situation is, if you ask the question, what belief is underneath this situation, mm -hmm. you're quite likely to find a very simple, logical belief that you gained somewhere along the way probably as a child, because that's where we got most of our original beliefs, but it could have been anywhere through your, your adulthood as well. Mm -hmm. uh, we also tend to identify with certain beliefs. So, you know, we have a belief about who we are. Um, I, 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 I met a man who at a party and, and I said, uh, um, you yeah, what do you do? And he said, I'm a plumber. I said, oh, and, and what do you do for fun? He said, I'm a plumber. That's all I do. I plumb all day. Plumber, plumber, plumber. That's it. That's who I am. I'm a plumber. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so, I realized this was a person who completely identified with his role in life. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I could make a lot of comments about that one. <laughs> he, he couldn't see outside of his job. He couldn't see that he was a person or that he had relationships or that he, you know, he was a father or anything else. He was just his role. So that's called identification. So sometimes it's the identification with a particular belief that is the problem. And we need to disidentify. We need to find out that's not who I am. It may be something I do. It may be something uh, I, I do sometimes, but it's not certainly who I am. Yeah. Oh, and at parties, people are always asking, oh, so what do you do? Or yeah, who are you? <laughs> Right. Most people are human doings rather than human beings. That is so true. Yeah. And they tend to say, I am whatever my role is. Mm -hmm. And there's a danger in that. One of, the, one of the reasons I got involved in HR and left science was because when I was um, around 28 or so, and I'd been married for a couple of years, and my father-in-law lost his job. And he had just moved from Seattle to Spokane. He had, he had his job for probably 20, 25 years. And he, now he's close to 60, lost his job. And he didn't know what to do. I mean, this is quite a few years ago. So he really didn't know how to go out and find another job. And he was so ashamed by being fired that it, it really destroyed him. I felt so helpless really i didn't know how to help him get out of this but i'm as i'm listening to you talk there must have been some beliefs about who he was as a man who he was as a father who he was as a provider for his family that he just could not see his way out of it right these are some of the old cultural beliefs and, and we collect beliefs from all over the place we get them from our parents we get them from our siblings from tv and media from our friends from our church or a synagogue or mosque, we get them from, uh, from school. Um, and as we're growing, we're constantly adding more and more beliefs to the pile. Unfortunately, beliefs don't expire automatically. 
they should. It'd be, it'd be nice if they had a label on them like meat at the at the grocery store that says this belief will expire when you're five years old or so. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, it would. <laughs> but what happens is they just get piled up down in the subconscious mind and they continue to operate. And as we add new beliefs on top of them, the old ones get pushed down. And they're, they're not dead. They're kind of sleeping with one eye open. And if something happens that stimulates them, they jump up and reassert themselves. So mm -hmm. we, may, we may have the belief, um, uh, there's something wrong with me, right? Well, you learn that it's just a belief and I'm really a good person and you can make a life and all that. But someone gives you a look or they cut you off in traffic or they criticize you. And that old belief will jump up and suddenly cause you to feel depressed or sad or angry. And all of a sudden, your mind is taken over mm -hmm. by an obsessive thought about what's wrong with me. Uh, things never work out. And this is how we get caught in these cycles of thought. And they're old beliefs that are re-stimulated. So it takes time to clear them out uh, because otherwise they're just going to stay down there in the subconscious. And get stimulated from time to time, depending on the circumstances or the person or how they look or smell or, or feel. So the issues that we have then, whether they're in our personal life or our work life, where do we look first? I like to talk about awareness or a lot of people are calling it mindfulness now. It's a perfectly good word for, uh, I, I talk about it as if I'm a miner down in underground in a cave and I have one of those lights on, on my forehead, you know, on the helmet. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and that enables me to see outside myself. Well, I tell people that what they need to do is turn that light the other direction. So it's shining inside themselves. <laughs> and, and that's what self-awareness is. It's really looking inside to see what is the source in here of whatever's happening. Mm -hmm. So there's always what it looks like out there that's happening, but there's always a source on the inside. Mm -hmm. So as I said, you can ask the question, what belief do I have that's causing me to feel this way? That's a very powerful inquiry because it begins helping you look, look to see where are you in the equation? Where are you cause in the matter? And uh, one of my teachers said that the definition of responsibility, his definition was the willingness to see that you are causing the matter, whether you can recognize it at the moment or not. Mm. So when oh, you, that's I good. I like I'm, that. Yeah, I don't know why this that, is. That's really good. Yeah. So you could say, well, I don't like what's happening. Mm -hmm. I think it's caused out there. It's happening because of those people or that situation. But I know somewhere inside of me, there's a cause. Mm -hmm. I don't understand where it is right now. I can't see it right away, but I'm going to look for it and see where I am in the picture. Where is mm -hmm. my attitude, my orientation, my belief, my feelings, where is that? And that's the place to start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's reflection, reflecting on my part in this, my role, yeah. my beliefs that have informed my actions. Right, yeah. and, and this is a very powerful move because it makes you the creator of your life rather than the victim of your life. Mm. So now when you see yourself as a creator, you can say, well, I don't know how I created this situation, but I know I did. <laughs> now, how did I do that? Yeah. <laughs> and that actually empowers you rather than uh, I'm a victim and, and this, these things are happening to me. I have no power. 
Boy, and it's hard when organizations are going through so much change and there's so much pressure to produce or perform to stop and reflect what's my role in creating this life that I'm not, you know, totally satisfied with and neither is, are other people. You know, yeah, what's the role in that when you're just trying to survive and pay the bills? That's absolutely right. It really looks like the world is happening to me. Yeah. And these things are happening to me. And yet, um, how I respond to whatever's happening outside of me is my ability to respond, my responsibility. There's another word, another way of looking at it. It's your ability to respond, right? So how you're responding to the circumstance determines really who you are, your character, and, and also your beliefs. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's reminding me of um, <clears throat> a couple of people that I'm working with. They're uh, millennials and they go into the workplace and they don't feel heard. Um, they feel like you know, there are other people there who have a lot more experience. And when they try to, when this millennial tries to um, add some value or speak up or offer an opinion, they seem to be dismissed. How much do you think of that is, is a perception of what's going on? And how would you work with that person? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm grateful that we have millennials because they have a different orientation. They're lucky because they've grown up in a time after psychology <laughs> came into the, the public, right? Mm -hmm. so, um, my parents' generation were pre-psychology. Psychology kind of was the thing you did if you were sick. You went to a psychiatrist, right? Mm -hmm. And as I grew up, psychology was something you could learn about yourself through and you could use for your own personal development. And the millennials today with, with computing and with networking and being in, in the kind of communication they are with each other, they have a completely different culture than you and I did growing up. Mm -hmm. and that culture is really healthy, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, is what I know about it, it, it's a much more open and transparent culture, much more generous and um, and accepting. And so millennials are walking into structures that were built 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. And the corporate culture is actually an old culture. So they're coming into an old culture. If, if, if those folks think about it as social anthropologists, they're walking into a foreign tribe, right? With mm. different, different rituals and different patterns of speech and, and, uh, and dance. Uh, then they can observe and say, all right, how do I merge into this new environment? Mm -hmm. how, where are the leverage points? How, who's going to be a friendly native and who's going to be a, a mean native, right? And so I think that approach is what's needed because it may be true that their voice isn't heard. It may be true that most people's voices aren't heard, that it's a hierarchical organizational structure where everything is top down. Yeah. You don't get to question it. Now, that's not a very pleasant environment for a millennial or any of us, really. <laughs> it's not a healthy yeah. environment, uh, but it may be true. And then that person can begin to navigate and say, are there leverage points? Is there someone I can talk to who can hear me, who can make a difference, who, who can take in my ideas and actually have them impacted? Mm -hmm. The answer may be no. The culture may be a, have a block to that need. And so then the person has to decide whether they want to find something else to do within the culture or change cultures. 
Yeah, so they're, they're really dealing with two things. One is, well, they went to college and they have this background, but you know, how many of us actually do what we graduated with, what we thought we were going to do? I mean, most of us change our careers several times before we're 40. Um, so they're dealing with these foreign cultures and expectations, and they're also trying to figure out, well, is this the field that I like? And it's hard to separate the two sometimes. Because they think that, oh, well, maybe all companies are like this, or, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's me. <laughs> right. Well, it's always partly me, at least. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's, there are real other people who have an impact, right? So there are real yeah. people, real cultures. And, and so we are involved in these sort of microcultures that are very different. It depends on the CEO. When I was a headhunter, I realized that, that most dysfunction in, the companies I was working with started at the top. Mm -hmm. So if the CEO is dysfunctional, so is everybody else. And so is the culture. Uh, a healthy CEO usually created a healthy culture. Um, so you know, one thing a millennial can do is gather together with other millennials and create a new culture, create a new business, uh, because that's what we need is we need the, the kinds of businesses that are open and transparent and positively oriented. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. Rather than try to transform or fit into an old culture, um, start new ones. And they do have the capabilities. Oh, I just love the way um, they're thinking about the world and their value system, which we haven't talked about values and virtues yet. And I know you have a, a really intriguing distinction between um, values and virtues and how they fit into this picture of beliefs and actions. This is my favorite topic. So you got me started. <laughs> okay, so um, values are talked a lot about in corporate culture. And unfortunately, values and missions are typically something that a group of people decide on. They, they put it on a plaque and they hang it on the wall. Mm -hmm. Our oh, values yeah. are blank, blank, blank. Our mission is blank, blank, blank. And that's about as far as it goes. And then it never gets uh, brought into the day-by-day -day culture of people doing their jobs. So we also individually, we each have our own values. And to me, values are the way we prioritize importance. So mm -hmm. if if I look at my own values, I say, well, what's the most important thing? If I could only have one thing, what would it be? Well, mine might be good relationships. And then what's next most important? Uh, next most important would be prosperity and abundance. What's next most important? So whatever, I, whatever order I put those in, that's a way for me to identify my values. And so when I say I value something, that means it's important to me. So that's, that's what values are. Virtues are the qualities of the soul. Our soul is made of virtues, we could say. And um, I go back to Aristotle and what Aristotle defined as virtues. And he said the vir that a virtue is a quality that allows a thing to fulfill its purpose. Mm. So, for example, the virtues of a knife would be sharpness and strength because that's what allows a knife to be a knife and do its function. A racehorse's virtues would be speed and stamina. 
because that's what a racehorse needs to be a racehorse. Mm -hmm. And so then the question is, well, what are the virtues of a human being? And to answer that question, we need to ask, what are, is the purpose of a human being? Well, this conversation was started by Aristotle about 2,500 years ago. And after a long discussion, he came to the conclusion that the purpose of a human being is happiness, which is interesting. Right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, but when he talked about happiness, he didn't mean personal hedonism and I got mine. He meant uh, the happiness of me, my, the people around me, my family, and my community. So whatever elevates myself and others to a better place, that's a virtue. So, and most religions have had a list of virtues and most philosophies have had a list of virtues and vices, the opposite things which bring everybody down. And so my virtues might be love or wisdom or strength, power. So these are words that define things that when well used and well practiced, they elevate everyone. And of course, any virtue can at the extreme can become a vice. So if I empower everyone, that's going to probably elevate everyone. If I accumulate all the power for myself, that's going to be detrimental to others. So that's how I see virtues. And I've made a study of them and have a list of 650 so far. So That's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. 650 virtues. So do, do you find that people prioritize their values in order to prioritize how they spend their time and who they spend their time with? But virtues, do people prioritize their virtues as well? Well, first of all, regarding values, a lot of people will espouse certain values. They'll say, mm -hmm. you know, I value this, I value that. But when you look at what they do with their time and energy, it's often different. Mm -hmm. And so what you can tell a person's real values are is where they put their time and energy. Yeah. So yeah. a person who's going to a job that they don't like, you know, the not liking is sort of secondary to the fact that they need the money. So the money becomes one of their top values. Uh, and, and they might say, well, I really love uh, nature, but how often do you get there? Uh, once a year. Well, that's probably not a real value. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you'd like it to be a value, right? But you're not actually putting your, your time and energy there. With regard to virtues, uh, it's my belief that each person comes into the world with their own particular set of virtues because they also come into the world with their own particular soul. And by soul, I don't mean a, um, uh, I don't mean what <laughs> religions call soul. I'm talking about the depth of a person, the, the core of a person. But the other part of virtues is that you have to practice them to embody them. So I may come into life with the virtue of, of joy, but, but that's just in its potential. I have to actually practice joy to manifest it in the world. And so virtues are like skills. They have to be practiced in order to be fully formed. Mm, okay. 650 of them, huh? <laughs> well, most people, we, we, in, in the assessments that we do, we recommend that people pick like three to six virtues that they want to embody and practice. And the way virtues manifest is on a moment by moment, decision by decision, behavior by behavior uh, uh, method. So that in any situation, I can act either out of love or fear, for example. Mm -hmm. If somebody yells at me, what am I going to respond and react out of fear and anger? 
that's not a virtue. Or am I going to respond, respond out of compassion and kindness? Those are virtues. So mm -hmm. that's where you, where the rubber hits the road when something happens and how do you respond? The more we respond out of our virtues, the more happiness there is in the world. And that is a great reminder when something happens and either it's something that you feel good about or you don't feel good about, you know, what is your intention when you respond? Is it to empower the other person or is it to hurt the other person? Right. Yeah, I, I love that. So you mentioned um, potential and also purpose. I've also heard the Dalai Lama say that the purpose of life is to be joyful as the the highest energy emotion that we have is joy. Yeah. And uh, so I, you know, I didn't know that um, Aristotle also said that. That's interesting. I knew he said, I think it was Aristotle who said, an unexamined life is not worth living. Yes. Uh, which I absolutely love. So this put the bit about potential and skills, and maybe if you could talk briefly about how that shows up in a person's life. Good. And, and at the same time, we have to talk about limitations as well, because they all go together. So I believe that each person has infinite potential. Most of it goes unused, unfortunately, but we do have infinite potential. We can become anything. And we build our skills only in one way, and that is through study and practice. So if I wanted to be a great pianist, I have to study and practice. I can't just read a book about it. You know? Yes. If I want to be a bricklayer, I, the same thing. I, you know, I, I, books won't help. I need to study and practice it. The study is good, but the, it really comes through in the practice. So whatever a person wants to achieve, if it's a skill, they're going to be involved in a long period of study and practice. Uh, you know, a carpenter starts by carrying <laughs> wood up the ladder and, uh, and later might be able to hammer nails and then later might be able to, you know, guide a team. And it's the same in any corporation, any job. You become, a, you know, a, a student and then you become a journeyman and then you eventually become a master. So when you decide what skills you want to have, then you know that there's a long period of time to build those skills. Now, we have the potential to build any skill because we're humans and we have these amazing brains with that's the most complicated thing in the universe that we know of. And so uh, we, we have all this potential and yet we also have limitations and our beliefs create limitations. Mm. If I believe I can't do that, it turns out that's true. <laughs> If I believe I can do that, it turns out that's true. So whatever you believe will come true because if you believe you can't, then you give up somewhere along the way. Mm -hmm. So I use the example of two people who both want to become great pianists. And one has tremendous inherent skill and potential because their parents are musicians. They've grown up around music all the time. Their brain is wired to be a great, you know, to have great hand coordination and the other one doesn't have any of that. They both start in the same place. They both begin to take lessons and put their hands on the keyboard and practice. Now, if they both practice diligently and, and study continually, they'll pretty much keep up with each other. Whichever one stops first, quits first, will be the one left behind. And it doesn't matter whether it's the one with great skill and ability and potential or the one without it. 
because the skill is built with study and practice. And if you practice the piano for 20 years, you're going to be really good at it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So both people have potential. One might have some advantage, but if that person quits sooner, then they won't fulfill their potential either. I've thought a lot about it clearly and have a good sense of how they relate to each other and their deeper meaning. That's my favorite thing. <laughs> yes. Um, you do have a special webinar coming up too. So tell us about how you work with people around beliefs and virtues and all the things that we've just been talking about. Great. Well, I, I have a lot of programs, so I'm just going to talk about a couple of them right now. Um, so the program that I have for most people is called Clear Your Beliefs. And Clear Your Beliefs is a series of seven recorded sessions that takes you through an analysis of your beliefs in five different areas of life so that you can examine them, find the ones that are troublesome, and then clear them out one by one. And it's a particular process that I created called the belief closet process, which uses the imagination to go into the subconscious mind, communicate with the subconscious directly, and then shift things down at the core of consciousness, way down in the subconscious. It's a wonderful program, and I'm currently offering that uh, with a series of nine coaching sessions. Okay. April 5th, I'm giving a free webinar, and I invite all of your listeners to, to come listen. <clears throat> and that's called Three Tools to Help Your Clients Clear Their Limiting Beliefs. It's primarily oriented toward people who are serving others, coaches, therapists, healers, change agents. Uh, it also works great for anyone else who likes to help other people. And I'm going to be sharing three of my favorite tools that I teach in my coach training to everyone so that they can go out and try them and, and help people with them. And then in the webinar, I'll be talking about my coach training program called the Clear Beliefs Coach Training and that's an uh, International Coach Federation certified program for coaches. Uh, it's also for anyone else who wants to learn my techniques. I teach about 10 different techniques for shifting the subconscious mind at the, at the core. Well, and I've, I've listened in on a couple of your webinars. I know you can have as many as, how many were in Japan? <laughs> Oh, let's see, I had uh, 200 people. Uh, well, oh, no, it, it, for our free webinar, we had 20,000 people uh, <laughs> listening to, our, <laughs> to, to me. It's just but, amazing. Yeah, so things are different in China. Clearly, you can tell that Lion is very passionate about his, the topics that he's been teaching and studying for over 20 years and um, very articulate about it. And I've heard him answering questions on your webinars and also you know, helping people identify and begin to move through those limiting beliefs. So it's very powerful. It's good and juicy stuff, and I love it. <laughs> oh, I can tell. You know, there's a couple more things that I wanted to ask you, and then I will let you go. If you could think back uh, 25 years ago, was there any particular spark that inspired you to take this path? Yes, <laughs> there was. There were, there were many, uh, but I'll give you two. Uh, the first was that when I was a child, I felt very alone and weird. Mm. I didn't really connect with anyone. I didn't connect with my parents, didn't connect with my siblings, didn't connect with my parents' dogs, <laughs> and, or with other kids very well. I was kind of a, a, a strange child. And I figured 
out that if I watched other people, I might be able to figure out how to be normal. Mm. And that put me into a place of observation. And so I began observing. And then I found out about psychology and I started learning what I could about the brain. I was, I was a very early student of the brain and psychology and um, psychic phenomenon. And so, so that, that got me going pretty early. And then when I was 26, I was a little bit lost. I graduated with a degree in consciousness studies, didn't know what to do with it, uh, and was traveling around as a traveling salesman. Uh, and uh, uh, I picked up a guy whose car had broken down in the middle of the desert, and he traveled with me for three days. And then the third night out, he pulled out a gun and shot me in the head four times. Oh, my God. Yeah. Four times. <laughs> yeah. The good news is I survived. Um, so it has a happy ending. Um, yeah. But that was that was a, uh, a, a an enlightenment experience. I uh, left my body. I was seeing things from a very different perspective, um, and so that basically convinced me that um, that life was way bigger and more interesting than I ever thought possible, and that really sparked me further to to continue my exploration. Oh, that is amazing! How long did it take you to recover? Well, I never lost consciousness, and we ended up talking with each other for eight hours after it happened. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'd be happy to send you a link to the to the story. It's it's been published widely, and there was even a, a movie, a, a award winning movie made about it. So it's my my uh, famous story. Andy Warhol oh. said everybody in the future will be famous for fifteen minutes, and this is was my fifteen minutes of fame. Uh, well, I will definitely put the link in the show notes. That is something I've got to see. How is it that I've known you for almost a year now, I think, and I haven't heard you tell that story? Well, I don't talk about it too much, <laughs> except when people ask me questions, like you just asked me, like, what was it? Oh, my gosh. That is amazing. Well, I will definitely go watch that tonight. <laughs> and in terms of, um, and Spark is literal there. Yes, indeed. <laughs> So in terms of um, advice, I have shared with you the, the audience that typically listens. You know, they are millennials, new in a corporation, they're mid-managers, and they're also managers who are moving into a more expanded role into leadership. What's the most important advice you could give someone? My advice is to turn that light, that searchlight in on yourself. Get to know yourself. Get to know all aspects of yourself. You're a complex, multidimensional being, and every aspect of you is interesting. So become really interested and curious in how you work. What is it that drives you? What are your values? What are your virtues? What is, how does your mind work? How does your brain work? The more you know about yourself, the more power you will have in your life. It's said that knowledge is power. And it's also said the great advice from the ancient Greeks was know thyself. Mm -hmm. So that's the key is study yourself and know that whatever's happening to you, you have a role in it and you can change yourself, change your role and change your life by doing so. Mm, that's wonderful. Tell us one thing you know now that you wish you knew earlier. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. Let me pull out my list here. <laughs> uh, 
Well, I, I worked in the corporate world for a long time. Um, and I wish I had known better how to focus on serving others rather than myself. That in, I did serve others, but I was also doing it for me. <laughs> and had my attention been more on the service for others, I would have gotten better results. Mm. And you learned that lesson. Over and over and over. <laughs> <laughs> well, that tends to happen, doesn't it? We're just going to keep getting um, hit with that same obstacle, that same <laughs> lesson until we finally get it. Yep, exactly. That is life. <laughs> that is true. And do you have a habit or a mantra that helps you to stay focused on your goals, on your priorities? Well, on that one in particular, I'll, I'll share my mantra for that one, which is very powerful. And I recommend it to all your listeners to try it out and see what happens. The mantra is, it's not about me. Mm. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh, anything else you want to share with us? Oh, just that I'm delighted to, uh, to be speaking to your audience and, uh, and I am available. I, I love talking to people. So if anyone has a question or a comment or wants to engage in a dialogue, I'm wide open. Call me. Oh, great. Oh, that's awesome. I thought I knew a lot around values and beliefs and mindset and purpose and potential, but I've learned so much more from you. So I do encourage people to reach out to Lion. He's very accessible and, and wants to help. Thank you, Sandra. It's a delight to be with you in this way. And uh, I look forward to finding more ways we can play in the same play, same sandbox. <laughs> oh, great. Oh, thank you so much, Lion. All right, take good care. Bye-bye. All right, you too. I'm Cinder Niemela, and you've been listening to the Inspired Wisdom Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope these conversations illuminate your path to your highest potential. For show notes and links to resources mentioned during today's episode, please go to inspiredwisdom.us. You can also follow Inspired Wisdom on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, design a fulfilling and prosperous life that engages your talents and passions.